Welcome, all of you wine and true crime lovers. I'm your host, Brandy, and this is Texas Wine and True Crime. Thank you for being here, friends, for this week's episode, The Murder of Zoe Campos. I am rolling solo tonight, friends, so I will be thirsty and hungry since my better half isn't joining me tonight. We do have two new Patreon members we want to give shout outs to, Mia Bickle and Jeremy Wayne. Thank you so much, Mia and Jeremy, for supporting the show. Friends, if you want to help support the show, join our Patreon family. You get bonus episodes, cool goodies. In fact, we have stickers going out this week, so exciting. Be looking for those friends in Patreon. All right, let's go ahead and jump into this case. Zoe Campos was last seen on the evening of Sunday, November 17th, 2013 in Lubbock, Texas. She spends the day with family and friends. She also had plans to pick up her mother from work in the early morning hours on November 18th. But Zoe never arrived. What happened to Zoe Campos? Okay, friends, we have an 18-year-old, beautiful young lady that leaves one night and never comes home. So as parents, Chris and I always talk about the fear of something happening to our kids, just like any normal parent out there, I'm sure. And then we say even worse than that, though, is something happening to our kids and never seeing them or hearing their voices again. And that is the kind of lifetime pain that just gets even worse when you have absolutely no idea what happened to your loved one. I am glad Zoe's family does get some sort of closure in this case that we'll talk about at the end. But for years, they had to deal with not knowing what happened to Zoe. On November 17th, Zoe was out with family and friends. Her sister Savannah her sister's children and Zoe all were visiting at the mom's house. So I did see an interview with the mother after Zoe went missing. And she said the last time she saw her daughter, she hugged her, told her she loved her. And then she left for work. So the mother has to be at work at 3 PM that day. So after this, uh, you know, they're, they're just hanging out. Zoe then heads over to her friend April's house So April had just had a baby. So there were other people over there visiting April saying congratulations. So Zoe leaves April's house around 9 p.m. After leaving, she meets back up with her sister, meets up with the kids, and then another friend is joining them, and her name is Jessica. So they all have dinner, and after dinner, they all go back to the house. So her sister owns this home. Zoe moves in with her sister and she helps with the kids. Um, Zoe actually wanted to be a mechanic. Her father was in the military and taught her how to work on cars. And this was something that she really, really wanted to do. So to make extra money and to help her sister while she was at work, she moved in and, um, and helped with the kids. So once the movie is over, everyone, the sister will say everyone was pretty much falling asleep. Her sister takes the kids and goes to bed, leaving Jessica and Zoe um, out in the living room when when they went in the back. Um, It is presumed Zoe left the house at some point voluntarily after everyone went to sleep. 
Um, but the next morning, her sister doesn't find her in the house. At 1.30 a.m. on November 18th, Zoe texts her mother telling her that she is on her way to pick her up. The drive should have taken Zoe about 10 minutes, but she never shows up. Investigators will later confirm by phone records that this was the last outgoing text from Zoe's phone. So her mom tries calling Zoe when she doesn't show up, uh, but there's no luck. All of her calls are going to voicemail. So her mom's a bartender. So this is about 2.25, 2.30 in the morning. It's getting late. She can't get a hold of Zoe. She just assumes her daughter fell asleep. So her mom decides that she has a friend who lives very close to the bar, and she is just going to crash there for the night. So the mother goes to the friend's house and, and goes to sleep. So the next morning, when her sister wakes up and notices that Zoe is not in her room, she's not on the couch, she's not anywhere, she calls the mother and says, you know, is Zoe with you? And the mother says, no, she never came and got me last night. So now they know Zoe is gone. Now now worry starts to set in a little bit. Nobody's heard from her. She did not pick up her mom. The car is not there. It is 8 o'clock in the morning. She would expect her daughter to be asleep. And um, so they start calling all of Zoe's friends um, and other members of the family, but nobody has seen her. Her family calls the police, and they end up putting an APB out on her car, which was, and made me think of Chris, a silver four-door 1997 Lincoln Town car. So a missing persons case was filed the very next day um, after the APB is put out. So the family is searching all around Lubbock for Zoe. So she has now been missing three days once um, the missing persons um, is filed and the APB is out. So now a couple days have gone by and they're just not having any, any luck, any tips coming in. So on day three, the search is coming to an end. And at that moment, the universe gave them a sign. Zoe's aunt spots her vehicle and someone is driving the vehicle and she decides to follow the car. So she's following it, trying not to look suspicious, uh, not staying too close. But then the car pulls up to a red light and she switches lanes and pulls over next to it. And her stomach sank when she noticed the driver looked more like a male wearing a hoodie than her small, petite, five-foot niece. Her aunt knows that is not Zoe driving the car and she starts to worry. So she ends up losing this vehicle after the person is driving. They turn down a side street, but she did something really smart. Um, she had called her son and got him to get in the car and to start driving in her direction. So she tells him the street that the car turned on. And based on that location, he actually eventually finds Zoe's car abandoned in an apartment parking lot. So on this scene, we have Zoe's Aunt Monica, who was following the car. Her mother has now been contacted, and she is now out there with the vehicle. And then her cousin, who is the one who actually found the car. So they call 911 to report that the vehicle has been found. Friends, it took police over an hour 
to arrive on the scene. This woman is standing there thinking her daughter is in a trunk. Police said it was uh, it the call came in, the call that came into 911 was considered a lower priority the way the call came in. So this is why they said there was no urgency to get there. So police arrive, they collect some evidence from the car, but there just wasn't a lot found. They found Zoe's black jacket. They did open up the trunk. That is where they did find the jacket, along with some duct tape. Now, at first, police were a little concerned about the duct tape, but then her family said that they do believe the duct tape belonged to Zoe. She used it um, just doing, I don't know, mechanic work or holding things together, but they do believe that it did belong to her. So they're just running into dead ends um, over, you know, weeks, and now we're turning into months. So they're are trying they're trying to get access to the phone records, and they're also getting access to her Facebook account. So um, once they have the phone records, they can actually finally determine that Zoe's phone was last pinged in an area called Lowry Park in Lubbock. So this area is known for drugs. It's known for prostitution. Now, the search teams looking for Zoe really hone in on this area because, you know, I mean, we we talk about sex trafficking a lot. We talk, I mean, the the parents and the sisters, you know, they did say they knew Zoe smoked marijuana. They wouldn't have expected her to be in an area like this. But they did say, you know, she, that they were aware of that. And, you know, maybe she had a friend that lived in the area. So the search teams really hone in, um, but nothing is ever found. So investigators are talking to ex-boyfriends, friends, family. They also interview the people that were at April's house that night. So remember, there's about six or seven people um, that saw Zoe at the at April's place that night. So they are all brought in for questioning. So they all go through interviews. Um, now, they get access to her social media, and one thing catches their attention. They see Facebook messages from someone they already interviewed um, the night Zoe disappeared. Now, this person's name is Carlos Andrew Rodriguez. Carlos was interviewed early on in the investigation because he was one of the people visiting April at her home. So in his original interview, he tells police that he did meet Zoe at April's that night, but he just happens to leave out the fact that um, he had eventually, he had sent her some Facebook messages, which they end up finding on Zoe's Facebook account. So the first time around, he tells them, yes, I met Zoe, um, and that was it. That was it. So police end up finding these messages, and what they find is that he is inviting her over after April's house, after she leaves, goes, has dinner with her sister. Now she's at home and he has been texting her Facebook account, um, sending her messages since basically leaving April's after nine o'clock. So he leaves this out. He leaves this big detail out in the first interview. Um, so they bring him in again. 
And he tells them that he didn't say anything about the messages because he didn't want to get in trouble for having marijuana or suggesting the use of it, which is very strange in an investigation like this. When you have a missing person, those sort of small things don't really matter. What matters is finding Zoe. So Rodriguez admits to authorities that Zoe did come over. He did send the message. She did leave her sister's house and she did come over. But once she got there, they realized that neither of them had any weed. So she said she was leaving to go get some and that she would be back. So he tells police she never came back. She left. Um, they in, they find messages from him on her Facebook account at four and five in the morning saying things like, are you okay? Are you coming back? So this kid becomes their number one person of interest when they find out his home is right next to where Zoe's phone pinged. In 2018, five years after Zoe went missing, Police feel they have enough um, to start really honing in on um, on Rodriguez. Now, here's why. Rodriguez had been in jail after being convicted of stalking. This is a totally separate case than Zoe's. Um, and this happened in November of 2017. So he is in he's in jail. He is awaiting transport to prison. Um, and he was supposed to be serving a four-year sentence in this case. And then when new details in this investigation um, investigation broke, so he would have been eligible for parole after serving just under two years in the case he was he was convicted of. Um, and so here's here's what happens. While in jail, informants allege that he often talked about the murder of Zoe and had hinted that the body was buried in his previous backyard. Human remains were found buried in that backyard at 1900 block of 70th Street in Lubbock around 10 p.m. November 16th, 2018, just shy of the five-year anniversary of Zoe's disappearance. The suspect in custody was identified as 25-year-old Carlos Andrew Rodriguez. And he has now been charged with Zoe's murder. The, the bones were tested and were confirmed to be Zoe's. Um, Rodriguez does admit to killing Zoe at his home that night. So um, they were correct when they had mentioned the phone ping and where that text message came from, they do believe she was at his house when she sent her mother that text message. And but now we know she never left. Rodriguez decides he's going to write a letter. And in that letter, he confesses to the murder and describes the events of November 17th, 2013 in some detail. Um. Here's what, here's what he has to say. I confess to detectives after five long years of guilt, shame, and fear of the unknown outcome. Um, he also wrote that I confess simply because I couldn't take this burden anymore. 
This burden was so heavy on me that before I confessed to detectives, I confessed my crime to a friend here at the Lubbock County Detention Center. Officials said um, at the time that um, what he thought was the friends was actually an informant. So it it worked what they what they were doing. So this is what Rodriguez continues to say in his letter. On 11-17-13, while visiting an old friend named April, Zoe happened to show up. It was obvious to the both of us that we had an attraction for each other. So I messaged Zoe on Facebook and we agreed to meet at my house. Rodriguez then says they smoked two cigarillos containing K2. Now K2 and other, it's basically a synthetic cannabis. I don't know. I've never, I don't know much about K2, but what I have read, um, it's often referred to as a synthetic marijuana, but they do like um, professionals and, and doctors say this can be very misleading. I even do believe now I could be wrong about this, but I think it's now illegal. I don't think you can buy K2 anymore. I could be wrong about that. But um, just because of the, I mean, they used to sell this stuff. And now I do remember this. They used to sell this stuff in like 7-Eleven and gas stations, corner stores, because I had friends who, who actually had a problem with this stuff. And it's highly addictive also is what I heard. Now, I want to say this. This is a letter he is writing. The only people that know what took place that night are him and Zoe, and only one person is here to, to tell that story. Whether they actually did this or not, we don't know. But this is what he says. Um, so K2 is something um, similar, like I mentioned, to synthetic marijuana. Drugs like K2 are often market, uh, marked as a safe alternative to marijuana, though this is not the case. The effects of K2 can be unpredictable and dangerous. Now I will continue with, with his letter. I started to lose track of time and spaced out. She kept saying things and I could hear her laughing, but my mind was somewhere else. When I turned to face her, her face looked different. She looked very weird in an evil way and I started to panic, but I couldn't move. I wanted to tell her, but didn't want to sound weak or embarrassed. So I started to sweat a lot and I could feel my heart pounding so hard in my chest that I couldn't speak or swallow because of this huge knot in my throat. So we kept grinning and asking me if I was okay, but I was certain I was dying. That's when I started to get lightheaded and my vision started to black out. Then Zoe said, you're effing tripping. And when she opened her mouth to laugh, her face started to melt, and that's when I struck her. She got up, and I heard a demonic scream. I remember her running to the door, so I grabbed what appeared to be the demon from behind in a rear naked choke. I don't know how long I was choking her, but when I let go, I started to come back, and I started to realize what had happened, and my whole world started to crumble. Rodriguez admitted committing this horror, horrific act, but he says, I'm not a murderer. I simply committed a reckless act five years ago that ended tragically. I'm not asking for a dismissal. 
I just want a fair judgment and not to be labeled as a murderer, but as a 20-year-old kid who made a mistake because of K2 playing a major factor in my case. He then goes on to say, do your kids, friends, and people dear to you a favor? Educate them on this K2 synthetic marijuana, please. It will save everyone suffering, pain, and most importantly, it can save lives. And then Rodriguez apologizes in his letter. Now, the one thing I will say about this letter is that I feel like it is so extreme. Some of it could possibly be true. I feel like this is a, I, I don't know if this kid is even really smart enough to, to make up some of this stuff. I, I don't know much about K2. I, I know that it can cause hallucinations. I have read it can cause you to do things. But the fact of the matter is he took this beautiful girl's life senselessly. And the fact that he's already, he was already in prison for stalking. And by the way, police say that they, once they got a hold of his phone, and by the way, his phone pinged, right? His phone pinged near his house in the same area that Zoe's had pinged. But when they looked at his messages, he had messaged all different kinds of women and he pushed it to the max. He wanted sex. He wanted to know when they were coming over for sex. He was very forward, borderline harassment. Well, he's now he was now in prison for murder, but also was in prison already for stalking someone. So that's why I'm taking this letter with a small grain of salt. Because to me, this is a sexually motivated crime. Uh, Zoe, I think that he made a pass at Zoe and she refused and that made him upset. Now, whether they were smoking this stuff, I don't, I don't know. Um, but we know she never left and we know that he killed her and he admits to it. And now, you know, we're looking at his record of of sexualizing women and and that's really all he cared about is what police said all the messages two girls were pushing the envelope to meet up for sex i hope zoe's family can can move on with some closure um it's now been you know almost 10 years since um, since she went missing and, and was killed. Carlos Rodriguez is still in jail waiting for his day in court.